please get a Bible this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. And we'll be starting in verse 37. And as you turn there, and I have to just say this right out of the gate. (laughs) If you pay attention to what God's doing on a given day, you will see that there are things that line up. I had no idea that you guys were going to talk about a hike to the Grand Canyon this morning, about a really, really hot day. But that's my question this morning. I want want you to think about the hottest day you can remember. Yeah, it usually happens in summer, right? If it it doesn't, something's up. What was likely on your mind that really, really hot day? Was it, was it, I could get used to this. Or was it, oh man, I can't hardly wait for that root beer float. Or that homemade lemonade. Or that snow cone. I remember being in Texas several years back when they were in the middle of a drought and being out all day in the sun as you were driving back seeing a snow cone truck on the side of the road. It is. It's like, come come, all you weary. Come over here. You get outside and it's 102 with 98, 99% humidity and you see them scoop that crushed ice into the cone and then drizzle... No, they don't drizzle in Texas. They flood it with, with flavored syrup. That's like water from heaven, by the way. And you suck up that first drink through the straw or scoop it up with a spoon. Thank you, Lord! Hallelujahs break out all over the place. You know, our thirst... Thirst gets quenched and we are refreshed and we're satisfied. That's what we look forward to on a really, really hot day. Because it's fun for a little bit, but then it gets old real quick. So let me ask you, how do you quench the thirst of your life? How are you refreshed and satisfied when you get the notice that you're being laid off? like a lot of people in this country are. How are you refreshed and satisfied when every other post on social media or every other headline makes you just shake your head? How are you refreshed and how are you to be refreshed and satisfied when you find out that you've done it yet again and you've pulled that boneheaded junk that makes dinner time with your family just a big awful, awkward silence of anger instead of a worthwhile worthwhile talk and laughter and enjoying eating. How How are you refreshed and satisfied when your friend says something that hurts or doesn't say something to you but says it to someone else and then it gets back to you? How do you quench your thirst when you when you think There's more to life than just paying bills and dealing with COVID and politics. (laughs) And here's an even, perhaps even tougher question. How can we have our thirst satisfied without burying our heads in the sand about all that stuff? Because that temptation's out there for sure. 
And not just satisfied for an afternoon or a half an hour with a snow cone, but forever. Our thirst goes far, far deeper than we know. And that's where we are this morning in Scripture. (laughs) Praise God, in a way, this is not a new question for God's people. This is not a new question for humanity. Ancient Israel was even celebrating a festival that proclaimed year after year that they were yet thirsty. It was a feast of booths. And they were proclaiming year after year that, that there was hope that the God who had provided for them when they had left Egypt and were living in booths, tents, in the wilderness, and who had given them water in the, in the desert, wilderness or desert, He was going to show up one day and overflow their lives with living water, turning the deserts of their lives into into gardens, everlasting gardens. And at that feast, on the last day, God does show up. See, Jesus up to this point in the feast, we've studied it the past couple weeks, he's been working relatively privately People have wondered, like, why aren't they trying to arrest this guy? Why aren't they don't do anything? But here, here, at this passage today, when the expectation of this feast is at its height, when all the hope that this feast comes together to celebrate and be and be reminded of, when it's at its height, it's at its height, Jesus goes public. And he goes public to satisfy thirst. So let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. Verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You may be seated. For us today, hearing this, this is our big takeaway. Come to the glorified Son and overflow with the promised Holy Spirit. Here's the question. Are you ready to satisfy your thirst? So let's jump into the deep end here. (laughs) The first priority of this text is this. Number one, come thirsty to Jesus. On the last day of the feast, verse 37 says, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So are you thirsty? Are you aware of your need to be satisfied? Not just with physical drink, but spiritually. (laughs) We are in a world that works very, very hard to deny that there's any spiritual anything. But we have been designed as whole persons, body and spirit. And when we try to deny that we have one or the other, You can't beat design. We will still try to find a way to satisfy that thirst. 
I mean, look around. Have you noticed the spiritual, even religious fervor or mania, as you might put it, that has crept our way into seemingly non-spiritual things in our day, like politics, protesting, news media, social media, sports, medicine? Why is that? Why do those things take on like this spiritual significance and worship for many people? Well, in one way it's not all bad because people are designed by their Creator to be satisfied spiritually. But what's the problem? Those things never ever satisfy. Why? Because they aren't the right object of our satisfaction. The football player dies. The protest eventually goes away or gets crushed. Or the news shifts to something else. The social media moves from one horrible thing to another cat video. They aren't the right object of our satisfaction. They are fleeting pleasures. And C.S. Lewis wrote in this in his essay, Christian author in the, from the 20th century, in his essay, The Weight of Glory. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, he says, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And he says we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday, that's the British way of saying vacation, at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. What's Lewis saying? He's saying we're thirsty and we're going to all the wrong watering holes to quench it. You know what going to all the wrong wrong watering holes to quench your spiritual thirst is called? It's called sin. Why would we go to all the wrong watering holes? Why would we go to the wrong places or even the things that are morally okay but we're never meant to satisfy our thirst? It's the same reason that before our passage today and after it, as we'll see, Lord willing, next week, that officers were sent to arrest Jesus. And that reason is that of ourselves... Our own know-how, our own sense of things, we will choose sin over the Savior. We default to an if-it-ain't-broke-don't-fix-it attitude toward our lives because we are blinded by sin to the truth that our lives are broken beyond anything we could ever imagine because of our rebellion against God. Because that's the case, maybe the question for you to start with is, do you even know that you're thirsty this morning? 
It's getting harder these days to pretend that you're not thirsty in this society. But because of where we live in the society, in this part of the world where we live in, we can't, we can't ignore that thirst for longer than others who don't have what we have. See, the opportunities and blessings we are given in this country are meant to glorify God and can, and in a sinful heart, they can be used to glorify ourselves and be used as our way of keeping him out of our lives and saying we don't need him. But Jesus says the opposite. What does he say? What does he say? If anyone, anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And as I mentioned earlier, the great irony here is that the Jews were celebrating a festival that looked forward to God coming to save, to pour out living water. And there's some background information that's amazing with this, with this passage, and I want to share it with you. So on the seventh day of this feast, the Jewish priests would take, they've been doing this through the whole thing, but the last, this great day, the seventh day of this feast, the priests would take a large golden pitcher and they would go get water from a, the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And they would make this huge grand procession with it, with everyone waving the materials that they had brought to Jerusalem to build their booths, their tents, and they would all go to the, to the, toward the temple together. And they would be singing the Hallel, which is Psalms 113 through 118. And if you've ever heard Jewish men sing, it's pretty awesome. And they would circle the altar seven times as a reminder of what happened, what God did at Jericho. This altar where drink offerings would made, it make, made, were made. And then they would descend these steps up to the altar and they would be joined by another person carrying a golden pitcher of wine and they would go up this altar together and the crowd would be shouting for them to lift it higher, higher, lift it, lift it higher. And they would pour it out to cheers and celebration as an offering to God in hopes that God would pour out his blessing and spirit by sending the Christ, by giving them living water and renew their land. And in fact, this was such a big deal that the rabbis said that if anyone had not seen this water ceremony, they had not seen joy at all. Now, this celebration is not necessarily a bad thing to look forward to. It's okay to look forward to it until the one you're looking forward to, the one who is the ultimate fulfillment of all your desires and hopes, shows up. And when he does, what's, what are we to do? We're to stop the ritual and go to the real thing. Stop trying to satisfy your thirst with lesser things. And the passage doesn't say whether this was exactly the seventh day or the eighth day. Both are arguably valid and there's all sorts of opinion about it. But imagine, imagine that as this picture, as these pictures are being lifted and the crowd is wanting them to pour it out, to make an offering in the hope that God will provide living water. 
And as the, they're about to tip the, glass, tip the pitchers over, a hush goes over the crowd, and Jesus sees the, seizes the moment. He stands up and he shouts out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, as I said, we will of ourselves choose, the sin over, choose our sin over the Savior. We cannot rescue. We cannot quench our own thirst. But that's why Jesus came to rescue. And for anyone who thirsts, that's why Jesus says it here. Jesus' voice is the big sign on the interstate saying, pull in here. Let him come to me and drink. That's why he speaks. So that people will come. So that people will drink. So that people will believe. We have a thirst that nothing and no one else can satisfy. Only Jesus can. And when we believe that he can satisfy it, we will come to him. We will believe in him. So come to thirsty to Jesus. Let him come to me and drink. So what happens when we come to him and drink? <laughs> Does he hand us a snow cone through the window and say, have a great day? It's a great snow cone. A snow cone made by Jesus. Wow. <laughs> have a great day. Does he hand you lemons and then say, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, okay? Do we get a ticket to heaven and say, see you, Jesus? What marks someone who has come to Jesus from someone who is still trying to satisfy their own thirst? How do we know we are truly satisfied? We know it when God's life is in us when his spirit is in us. So that brings us to number two. Satisfied people overflow with God's life. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit. Look how Jesus explains what happens. He points to scripture specifically to what Scripture promises. There's not, now there's not a single passage in Scripture of the Old Testament, which was their Bible at the time, that says verbatim what Jesus says here. But there are hosts of Scripture that look to this promise. Here are a couple. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 3 through 4. For I, God says, will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. And here's another one. Joel 3 verse 18. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. That's two of tons. 
And we know this is a promise because Jesus, Jesus sets it up like one. Whoever believes in me, that's anyone. Anyone without regard to nationality, ethnicity, social or economic status, IQ or EQ, sex or age. Anyone who believes in him will have rivers of living water flowing from his or her heart. And the second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty proclaims, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes, their Amen in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our Amen to God for his glory. So what does this mean? This means that without exception, if you believe Jesus, if you have come to him thirsty, you and 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 you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is not for an elite few of Christianity. Whoever believes will have rivers of living water. Doesn't that sound good? In them. But that's not the whole picture. There is a caution that we have to have here because there's a great danger in anything, but especially in the church, of overemphasis of certain things. And one of those overemphases is you and me. You guys heard of the Sea of Galilee? I don't want to... We've been talking about some of that. Now, I wish I had a picture today, but if you look at the Sea of Galilee, what was it known for? It was fishing. Why was it known for fishing? Because there was water where fish could thrive. And if you look at the countryside around the Sea of Galilee, it's green and lush. It supports life. And one of the reasons it does so is that it's continually refreshed water. Because the Jordan River goes, comes into it from the north and goes out of it from the south. The sea has water flowing through it. Now, here's a question. Do you know where the Jordan River ends? The Dead Sea. Do you know why it's called the Dead Sea? <laughs> you know, aside from really, really, really small or living organisms that are built to withstand a major concentration of salt in the water there, the Jordan River flows into that sea, but no water flows out. And it just goes there, and it sits in the salt, and it stagnates, and it evaporates. Now maybe you have been taught this way or thought this way, but we are often taught in an individualistic and self-centered world, often in Western culture, but not exclusively, that our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is just that. We make it like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, and I'm dating myself here a little bit by saying this. We basically say, the Lord is my precious, mine, me, my own. 
or maybe in a little less sinister portrayal, but just as sinister in principle, I have a private relationship with the Lord Jesus. Just him and me. That's what matters. Don't need to go proselytizing or preaching to anybody else. You can have your faith, and I have mine. Just don't talk to it, about it to me or anyone else. You know what that relationship is? That relationship is a dead sea. It's a relationship with yourself, with the Jesus label slapped on it. Jesus does care about you as an individual and does want an individual relationship with you. He is a personal God with personal people. But if that's all that we think Christianity is, just a private individual relationship with Jesus, Jesus is calling us in this passage to question whether we know him really and whether we have the Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to repent because the source of life God himself in the person in the third person of the trinity is given to those who believe and he is the source of rivers and those rivers don't just fill up they flow out of a person who believes in Jesus When we believe Jesus, when we have come to him thirsty and have been satisfied, he gives us the Holy Spirit who flows through us to bless others. When Paul, by the Holy Spirit, quoted Jesus in Acts 20, verse 35, that it was more blessed to give than receive, he wasn't kidding. Jesus' mission, God's plan, is so grand, so great, so beautiful and wonderful that he wants to have you one who knows Jesus to be a channel of spiritual blessing to those around you. And what does he use? He uses rivers of living water, not a teeny tiny trickle. Have you ever seen what happens in those time-lapse films when water comes up on a dried-out riverbed in the desert and it fills up? It goes out, the landscape just goes... And you wouldn't know it was a desert. It's totally transformed. It brings life, and that's what God wants to do, and He wants to bring others life, and He wants to do it through you. Satisfied people overflow with God's life. Number three. When Jesus is given, or when Jesus is glorified, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is given. Because we can't miss verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Because if we don't have this part of the text, we could take that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water any which way we want it. But no, this is, he says, about the Spirit. And I do realize that we have to be very careful about calling the Holy Spirit God's life. Because he's not just a thing. He's not just a force out there. He's not just raw power that people can harness and use however they want. No, when Jesus says here, 
Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is like the proverb from Proverbs 21, verse 1. He says, The king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So when we believe Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit, we're no longer our, our, our own. We don't call the shots anymore in our lives. Not that we really ever had authority to do so anyway. God does. And he aims to bring living water through us. And the way God does this in our believing, in our believing of Jesus and coming him to satisfy our thirst is to send his Holy Spirit. Now, we could spend the whole morning talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does, but let's keep it to the text for just, just for this moment. What does he say? The Holy Spirit... John will later include the gift, include the adjective holy later on in the book. The Holy Spirit is what? He is a gift to all who trust the Lord Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And what does he do in this text? And when he is given to the believer, he works the flow of living water in the heart of the believer and through the believer. What does that mean? That means that if today you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as the one sent by God the Father, you have the Holy Spirit. And He is working in you that which brings about real life. He brings about holiness. That's why why He's called the Holy Spirit. God is the most alive being there is. And He blesses His people with being fully alive. And this is the kind of alive when every, where everything steadily becomes more clear. Everything has more meaning. I mean, with God, nothing in life is meaningless. And with God, we're living for more than just the pleasure of the moment. Though with God, we can be present in the moment. And we begin to see things as they are. Very broken but that there is hope for we have a very great and eternal savior and by this holy and this holy spirit does not just work in our lives that's what is meant by the heart here it's the totality of you who you are he works through us to show the world a new covenant that god has come to bring One where there is life, where there is hope, where there is peace, where there is unity, where there is righteousness, where there is justice and satisfaction in Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit working through us proclaims and bears witness to Jesus who changes everything, who brings us from spiritual death to life, who moves us to hear and heed God's word so that we would show the world while Jesus is ascended in a way that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now some of you this morning might be thinking, yeah, Aaron, I agree that the Holy Spirit is given to me when I believe Jesus. But where is all this living water, Aaron? My life feels like a dump. I have so much sin, and I sure don't seem to be blessing others with the gospel or much of anything. 
Okay. Well, good news. You're not alone. And there's also good news. God is after renewal and redemption and restoration. But the Holy Spirit doing things as we see them is a pathetic drop in the bucket compared to what God is doing in bringing people to himself and transforming him be, be, transforming them behind the scenes. We don't yet see all that God is working in the things unseen for those who love him. If we knew the depth of our sinfulness as he, he sees it, and we knew the totality of how he was bringing about regeneration and growth in the new lives of formerly dead sinners, and if we could really see what the new heavens and the new earth will be like, populated with people made perfect, so great would our worship and joy and awe and praise and thanksgiving and soaring spirit and being happy we would be, I frankly think we would explode. We couldn't contain it all. So be encouraged. You may not see, but keep trusting and obeying him. It is true, you may be sinning and hindering the Holy Spirit's work in you. We can't say this and not say that that's a possibility. We can do that. But if we're trusting Him, obeying Him, walking in repentant faith, coming to Jesus for Him to satisfy us, Jesus is always good on His promises. He will be working in us, rivers of living water that will flow through us. And I bet, I bet, some of us here have seen him at work in you, if that's you this morning. So I want to tell the rest of you, if you have seen the work of the Holy Spirit in or have been blessed by him working in someone's life in this room today, would you please, please tell them that you've seen him working? We go through life with a default mode of discouragement. If we look for God to be working and we point him out in the lives of others, do you know what sets our spirits soaring? to know that God is at work in our lives. And talk about an encouragement to keep going, to keep trusting. Who give us rivers of living water. So how does this all happen? Jesus must receive the glory, the praise, the honor, the exaltation due his name. He must be glorified. So how has he been glorified? Well, someone else must be satisfied for us to be satisfied. God doesn't take a magic wand when he sends Jesus to the earth and say, poof, your sins are gone. Nor does God say, now that my son has come, your sins are no big deal to me. No. Sin is high treason against a most holy God. 
And justice must be satisfied, the penalty of death. God's wrath against sin must be satisfied, otherwise all his promises for salvation of people don't mean anything. Apart from God intervening, each of us must pay the penalty for our sin. Ourselves. Eternal death. So when John says that Jesus needs to be glorified in order for the Spirit to come to those who believe in Jesus, he means this. Jesus is glorified when he is stripped naked and led through the streets of Jerusalem as a despised criminal. He is glorified when in the eyes of the culture he has shamed his family and his people and is a disgrace. He is glorified when he is lifted up on a Roman cross to die. A way of dying which the Old Testament declared that anyone who died that way was cursed by God. And he was glorified in that moment of humiliation He secured salvation as the book of Hebrews joyfully shouts, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was glorified in crying out, It is finished! He was glorified in being buried, the Son of God being buried to be eaten by worms in accordance with the Scriptures. But he rose on the third day and according to the scriptures, to be glorified and has ascended to the Father, having finished his work, to be glorified. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He's glorified and satisfying the justice of God that we could not pay. And all we are called to do is to come to him if we are thirsty. And when we come to him, we receive himself. The Holy Spirit. The presence of God in us and through us until Jesus comes again. When Jesus is glorified, the Holy Spirit is given. So, come to the glorified Son and overflow with the promised Holy Spirit. So I'll ask it again. Are you thirsty? Do you know now how to be satisfied, not just with an afternoon snow cone, but forever by God? And are you satisfied with the promised Holy Spirit? The promise that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ.